Uh, so if you've got a Bible to hand, if you could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, that'd be terrific. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And then we're going to read through to chapter 2, verse 5. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Let me pray as we come to God's word. Father, we've just been thinking about you on your throne. Father, your majesty, your glory. Father, we, we come to you now, to your word, to hear you speak to us. Father, help us to see your might and your power. Help us to see what it means to adore you, to, to see your beauty, to boast of you in our lives. Help us to see that in the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, crucified on the cross, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah, so as we begin this new year, 2022, it's just a quick thought uh, for us to kind of launch into it. Uh, Dante helped, thought, helped us to think about how we're praying. The last prayer was kind of looking forward, and that's kind of what I wanted us to think about this afternoon. And I wanted to spend a few minutes looking at this passage, something I've been reflecting on uh, as we head into 2022. It's not a, a New Year's resolution per se. You might think it is. It's just something I've been really challenged by, and it's this. I've realized that I want to become a really big boaster this year. I just want to be known for boasting. And I want you to join me in that. I'd love for you, my dear sisters and brothers, to join me in being boastful. I love it for the Globe Church to be known as a church who are full of keen boasters. Now, you might be wondering, what, what is, what's got into Mike over this Christmas and New Year break? It's simply this. This passage really hit home for me as I was reflecting on it. Particularly verse 31, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's going to be the focus for today. Those, uh, as we leave from this place, for those who are watching from home, when you switch your screens off, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I want us to be, have that ringing in our ears, in our hearts. I want us to be known as a church filled with Jesus boasters. Not just this year, but for the rest of our lives on this earth. Now think about boasting for a minute. I actually think we live in a culture that loves to boast. Boasting is about taking pride in something to make that really known to others, often over and above something or somebody else. Now, we don't like using the word because it often carries this negative kind of weight to it. But I think our culture loves to boast in really subtle ways. I'm a, I'm a dad of two young, ki- two young kids. We're taught to do this as kids. Particularly in the West, where individualism is, is quite a big thing. We're taught to be different, to stand out, to show where you're special and unique. And then we, as we grow older, it sort of becomes the social language that we use. I mean, social media is an obvious place to go, but think even about job interviews and your CVs. A lot of it is about boasting in a socially appropriate way of all the achievements in your life so that you come across favorable, favorable relative to other people. Now, if you're sitting here from another culture, 
like an African culture or Latino, Asian culture, where we're taught not to stand out too much. You know, there's that proverb in, in, in the East where it says, if you're a nail that sticks out, you're going to get bashed to the head. It's all about the collective, about group harmony. But what actually happens is it just gets shifted from the individual to the group. Social groups start to boast about family or about our company or the group settings that we're in. It just shifts around. And the more I thought about this, this doesn't bode well for me. I'm an East Asian guy who grew up in the West. And I started to realize I actually probably boast about myself more than I like to think. It's almost ingrained in us because boasting is a form of showing people who we are, what really matters to us. And when we boast, it's our way of showing others, you know, this is what I want you to know about me. It's about showing people the important things that you associate with your identity. So it really matters to listen to what people or who people boast about. Because what you boast in shows you what your life is built upon. I'm sure you sort of get that sense when you listen to people boasting about themselves or their kids or their work or their, the country they're from. It gives a real good indication of what is occupying the seats of their hearts. And so for us as Christians, as Paul sits here, he makes it really clear. Boast in the Lord. Make sure that your focus is on him, that he occupies the seat of your heart. That is what I'd love for us to be doing as a church. So what does it mean to boast in the Lord? Well, let's take a closer look at what Paul's saying here. What is it particularly about Jesus, about the Lord, that should give us reason to boast? And when you think about that, I'm sure there's lots of things that you could think through. You know, he did some pretty cool miracles. He said some pretty deep things. You could argue he's one of the most respected people who's ever walked on this earth. I think non-Christians and Christians would, would both agree on that. There are plenty of reasons, but here Paul wants to focus on one thing. Verse 30, it's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. Boast in Jesus because he is our true wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God. The wisdom that we need for life. Life today, life in 2022, life surrounded by COVID. This is the sort of wisdom we need. Now, why is Paul going there? Why does he link it to wisdom? Because in Corinth at that time, in this city, it was full of people who boasted. The particular big battle surrounded that of wisdom. In the first three chapters of this book, wisdom, the word wisdom appears 16 times. The word wise appears 10 times. This was a massive issue in the culture back then. People would sit there in the public square debating who was the wisest, who had the right source of wisdom. And I don't think that's much unlike our culture today. I think we all love, would love to have more wisdom in our lives. We were traveling back from my, my in-laws recently after Christmas. And we popped into a service station, as you sometimes do. Because my kids wanted Burger King. Well, Rachel wanted Burger King. The other one can't eat yet. Um, but then you go, you go in, and there's W.H. Smith right there. And there are loads of, they always have loads of books selected for 2020. These are the things that you should be reading. And in there, you'll always find a load of biographies or autobiographies. I saw Mariah Carey's in there, Piers Morgan, Will Smith, Paddy McGuinness, you know who he is? And right next to it, his wife, Christine McGuinness. It's interesting that I'm like, that's a real conversation starter or, or stopper. But how many books did you sell today, love? You know? But it just, what it does, it just highlights our culture that we live in. People love to boast in their wisdom and the life experience we have. And clearly, people want to hear about it too. That's why these books sell. 
We're constantly searching for nuggets and voices of wisdom in our lives that are going to help us to live our lives better. That will give us surer footing, a greater sense of our identity. What can we learn from all these successful people? And so I think it's, it's just shifted from the public square in Corinth here to the global square of Penguin Books, Instagram, TikTok, WordPress, whichever way you want to go. There are thousands of voices out there vying and boasting that you can find wisdom for your life right here. And we often just have to take a punt. We just listen to a few of them out there, hoping that they'll help us in some shape or form. Now, I'm sure there are things that we can learn from human experiences, of course, and there is value in hearing from others. But here's the underlying problem that Paul points out. Paul says, hey, look, look, don't boast in human wisdom. Don't build your life on it because human wisdom is nothing compared to God's. Look at verse 25, just above. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. We're not even in the same category. We are creatures. God is the creator. So what are you doing? It's like a bunch of wood lice sitting there in a little circle, debating, oh, who's the strongest of us all? I can dig a big hole in this twig. And the other one says, no, no, but I can roll up into a little ball. And you look down on them thinking, what are you doing? I could crush you with my little finger. Please don't do that. It's just an illustration. But that's it, it, Paul saying, why are you getting sucked into these debates? Why are you looking for wisdom in these places and from these people? You know that God is the ultimate source of wisdom, of true wisdom. So why are you looking elsewhere? Why are you boasting and debating about your meager human wisdom when you have access to God? And can I just say, I don't think this sort of stuff just sits out there. I don't think churches are immune to this sort of thinking of being reliant on human wisdom. Clearly not, because Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And the church there, they were boasting in all sorts of things. You can read about it all through this letter, boasting about the gifts of the Spirit in chapters 12 to 14. And in the surrounding chapters here, there was a lot of boasting about who they'd been baptized by, who they'd been taught by. Oh, you got taught by Peter? Well, I got taught by Paul. And I think we can do this today as well, where we sometimes boast about the authors that we read, the churches we've been to in the past, the networks we've been involved in, the training we've had, the leaders that we've learned under. It's just that warning, just to be aware that, that even as Christians, we can slip into building our faith on human wisdom. I often find that doing it, I don't do it openly as much, but I sometimes do it in my head. And this passage digs at all of that. Don't boast in any of that stuff. Boast in one thing alone. In the Lord, who is our true wisdom. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is actually a verse found in Jeremiah in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah chapter 9, God's despairing that his people who are a bunch, have become a bunch of deceivers and God forsakers. And they sit there boasting in their riches and their wisdom. And God steps up and he says in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 9, you don't have to turn there, let me read it for you. This is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. See, what God desires is for people to boast about him, that they know God for who he is, that they know God as kind, just, and righteous, as their Lord, as their maker, as their savior. But the problem is, 
that our natural heart inclination, just like the people back then, is to boast in everything else other than God, to seek wisdom and answers for life everywhere else. That's what I was trying to show you with the culture that we live in, desperately searching for nuggets of wisdom from voices other than God. And so God, in his great wisdom, wants to make this as clear as possible. That his people will really know God as this kind, just, and righteous being. He makes sure that people have good reason to boast in him. Paul knows this, and he sees this, and he's saying to the church, guys, look, if you need proof of God's true wisdom, then go nowhere else but go to the Lord, to Christ Jesus. Verse 30, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. It's a new year, but it's the same message. Look to Jesus. How does Jesus relate to wisdom? When you think about Jesus and wisdom, what springs to mind for you? Maybe you're thinking of uh, one of those great parables, the prodigal son, the parable of the talents, or the the smart times he evaded the accusations and the, the... the traps that the Pharisees laid. Many of my non-Christian friends would comfortably say Jesus said some really wise things. You know, the classic one of turn the other cheek. But here's a surprise. I don't know if you noticed it with Paul. Paul doesn't say you are in Christ Jesus who spoke God's wisdom to us or you are in Christ Jesus who was an example of God's wisdom to us. He says Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. It's not only that Jesus fully had God's wisdom, but he actually became it. What does Paul mean? Well, he goes on in verse 30. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Here, Paul points to the pinnacle of God's wisdom on display. There are tons of ways to see God's wisdom, but the clearest way is here at Calvary. As God God comes down in flesh as a man to die on a hill on a Roman cross to become God's wisdom fully on display. I don't know if you've, uh, has anyone ever watched the movie 300? Does anyone know the movie 300? Oh man, it's so much older. It's this classic movie. I guess it's a classic now. Um, (laughs) It's it's about um, Sparta back in the day. So Sparta is kind of Greece. There's this guy called Leonidas. He's played by the um, Gerald Butler, I think. And they're all, they're all ripped. They're like eight packs. And he's like, Argh. And this is famous scene. This is Sparta. And he kicks the... the anyway, uh, you should watch it. It's cool. But it, basically what happens is there's Sparta on one side and Persia on the other side. A huge army. 150,000 people at least on Persia's side. And the Greeks and the Spartans together were trying to stop them invading. And they only had about 7,000 people. And after a few days of battle, I mean, they're pretty outnumbered. They have to retreat. And this guy, Leonidas, who's played by Gerald Butler, famously holds fort in this little channel called Thermopylae with 300 men. 300 men against 150,000. You look at that and you think, that is, that is foolish. What are you thinking? You're totally outnumbered. That is, you, you look like so weak compared to these Persians. But with all the knowledge and experience and wisdom they had, they find the most effective way to win, at least for a couple of days. But that is why this movie is so successful. It's it's a great story because it glorifies the story of Leonidas, of his courage and his wisdom. See, wisdom isn't most clearly seen when things are going well for you, when things are straightforward. It's when the odds are stacked up against you that you really see wisdom clearly. 
It's in adversity and weakness and foolishness. When you see the glory of wisdom. And across to human eyes, to human wisdom seemed utterly weak and foolish. That God would use a Roman cross to display his wisdom. The cross was a sign of weakness. It was not a place for kings, but for scum. The cross seemed foolish. Jesus had come to be the king of the Jews. He came to be the son of God. But at the cross, he looked like a mad fool. And yet it's in the foolish and weak things of the world where God comes in to prove just how wise he is, to show just how powerful he is. He takes that sign of foolishness and weakness and he turns it into a symbol of power, glory, and life. See, when Paul speaks here of righteousness, holiness, and redemption, he's reminding us of everything that happened at the cross in this human image of weakness and foolishness. Because it's there that Christ in his almighty power as a son of God became weak and foolish for our sake. The righteousness where Christ gives us, he clothes us. The big word is imputes us his righteousness. Not because we've done anything, but because of God's kindness, his grace where Jesus wants to put us in right standing, free of his guilt, the guilt of sin before God. Holiness, where Christ grabs people on his right and his left, and he brings them to himself, unites them to him, so that they would together be a new people found in Christ, a holy people set apart from the world for God. Redemption, where Christ, by his blood, ransoms sinners to be free from the chains of slavery and sin, to be free from its curse, from its oppression, from its burden. Jesus dying on the cross in so-called weakness and foolishness becomes the very wisdom and power of God on display. That he would use the cross to glorify himself and rescue his people. And it just shows us just how far God was willing to go to rescue us from our sin. That is the depth, the breadth, the height of God's wisdom. No amount of human wisdom, no amount of these books out there can undo the darkness of our hearts, but God in his grace would see us in our weakness, in our foolishness, and says, no, no, I'll become that for you. I'll stoop down and use the foolish and weak things of this world to show you my wisdom and power, to show you how much I love you. I will make you right. I will make you holy. I will redeem you. That is my wisdom displayed in Christ. And that is why Paul says it in verse 31. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. By faith in Christ, this wisdom found in Christ becomes ours, where this wisdom that brings life, purpose, a clear identity to live as a child of God becomes ours. That is exactly why we can boast in the Lord. That is why we can go out and hold our heads up high, not because of anything we've done, but because we know what God has done in us. So if you're trusting in Christ, you can confidently say, I'm a daughter, I'm a son of God. You can hold your head up high knowing that you have this wisdom of God with you. That is why Paul calls us to boast in Christ, to boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. How much do you think you boast of Jesus to those around you in your life? I'm pretty sure all of us can boast more of Jesus. Let me suggest one thing. Here's what I've resolved to do. 
given the revelation that I boast about myself more than I thought, rather than thinking, oh, I need to boast less about myself so I can be more humble and Christ-like, instead I'm thinking, am I boasting about the Lord? Because the more I boast in him, the less I'm going to boast about myself. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Okay, so given we're called to boast in the Lord, how should we go about doing it? Who would have thought you'd come to church and we teach you about how to boast? But let's follow Paul's example. Paul, he lives with verse 31 at the center of his life. In many ways, he had every right to boast about himself. He was a terrific preacher. He was experienced as a learned scholar, as an ex-Pharisee. If you like, he's, he's kind of this cross-cultural, multilingual captain of the debating team at Oxford University. He had every right to boast in himself, but he didn't. Because he knew what God had done for him in Christ. He'd seen the true wisdom of God in Jesus at the cross. And he knew his human wisdom was nothing compared to that. So he makes it clear in chapter 2, verse 1. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. Instead, I live as one who boasts in the Lord. Here are three quick ways to live as a Jesus boaster. Paul starts with the head. He makes it clear in Corinth, it was easy to get caught up in these deep philosophical debates about wisdom. But Paul had only one thing in his mind in verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul wants to fill his mind with the knowledge of Christ. That is his primary aim. Now, he's exaggerating to make a point. It's not that he doesn't care about knowing anything else. He knows lots of things. We know that from other letters that he's written and from Acts. So I'm not saying go and burn all your biographies and the other books on your bookshelf. But it's the central focus. That is what matters. The anchor and the foundation of his knowledge and wisdom is in Christ. He resolves to fill his mind with knowledge of him. And specifically in Christ crucified. It's to see how the cross of Christ impacts in all of his life how it changes his very foundations, his identity, how it raises his esteem and standing before God, how it it impacts how he lives now as a Christian. It's so easy to fill our minds with human wisdom from the world, to be shaped by that sort of knowledge, but let's resolve to fill our minds with the truth and wisdom of Christ crucified. So as we start this year, think about how you could be doing that yourself. Is it a simple thing as being more effective in your quiet time? Perhaps you could make use of some of the resources out there, 121.org, to follow up on the sermons that we teach. There are questions there you can think through. Why why not grab someone and and do those things together? Grab someone and and read a book of the Bible together. Read the whole Bible together in in a year. Help one another fill each other's heads with the wisdom of seeing Christ crucified in all of Scripture. Here's the second thing, the heart. Verse 3, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Here's Paul's heart attitude. I boast in the Lord, not in my own strength, not in my skill, not in my knowledge or wisdom. It means he approaches life knowing that he comes in weakness. It's to realize the limitations that we all have as human beings that pushes us to be ever reliant on God. And the thing is, despite who Paul is, he's comfortable with that. He's seen how God's wisdom is to use the weak things of the world and display his glorious wisdom and power. Whichever way you read this, Paul Paul had some physical weaknesses as well. His heart is set to know that God uses weakness for his glory. Where I am weak, you are strong. And it's a whole life thing. This phrase, fear and trembling, it crops up a few times in the Bible. 
And it's using the context of God's saving power and saving grace. Paul's committing his whole life to God. Here's my heart in my weakness. God, would you show your glory through it? So what could help us nurture this sort of heart attitude? Maybe it's being really specific in your prayer life. By praying thanks to God for the wisdom shown in the cross, focusing on specific aspects of that. Maybe use the triplet here, the righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Think through each of those as you pray. What does that mean for me? Here's another thing we could, we could be doing is, is talking to one another about it, reminding each other of how the cross of Christ has helped you this week in overcoming sin, feeling a burden of sin lifted, or in knowing the promise that I am now a child of God. Why not even do that after the service today? Grab someone, pray with them together. If you're at home, pick up the phone, call them. Don't just WhatsApp them, call them. Talk to them, pray with them. Here's the third and final thing. My message, verse four, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now this sounds more specific to the task of preaching, but I think the principle applies in just how we speak of Jesus and the gospel. It's personally challenged me because in my preaching, it's not about being clever, which I'm actually quite relieved about. <laughs> but that always puts us in danger about boasting about myself. And it's always about boasting in Christ as clearly as possible. Here's a great example. I absolutely love this. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, you may have heard of him. He was a minister. He ministered down in the Met Tab near, near Elephant and Castle. In the 1880s, a bunch of American ministers came over to the UK to listen to some of these great preachers of the time. And two of them were Spurgeon and another guy called Dr. Joseph Parker at City Temple across the river. So they went in the morning to City Temple, 2,000 people there. Parker preached with force. His voice was commanding. His manner was animated. He had loads of descriptions, lively illustrations, and it gripped people. And the ministers came out of that service in that morning saying, what a wonderful preacher is Joseph Parker. Then they head over, cross the river. They go to the Met Tab in the evening. It was a bigger building. Congregation was about twice as big, 4,000 people. And Spurgeon, humanly speaking, was perhaps a better speaker than Joseph Parker. But as time went on, this is the key. They soon forgot about all that. They forgot about the buildings, the number of people, the preaching skill of Spurgeon. And at the end of the evening, as they came out, they even forgot about comparing the two churches and the two speakers. All they said was this. What a wonderful savior is Jesus Christ. That is the key thing for us. Our job is to proclaim Jesus as clearly as possible. The power is in God, in his word, in his spirit, and that is liberating for us. We don't have to be a Tim Keller. We just have to be honest and clear in our presentations of Christ. Honest examples of things that we can clearly boast of Jesus in our lives, particularly in him crucified. Crucified, that's the key. So here's something you could think about. I think this is really helpful just to think about how you became a Christian, your testimony. Get used to telling others about it. How has Jesus Christ crucified changed my life? And have ongoing testimonies too. Those moments of grace in your life where you've seen the power of God at work through the cross of Christ. Journal that somewhere. Pray those things through and and as you do, prepare yourself to speak those things to others when the opportunity arises, when the Spirit leads you. And then lean on Him. Lean on His strength and boast in Him 
but the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. All of this is so that we can focus on God's wisdom and his power in us. It's to point others to God's wisdom and God's power in us, not on human wisdom. That is what boasting in Christ means. So let's do that this year. Let's be a church that is known to be filled with Jesus boasters who are not afraid to boast in the Lord. And let's do that not for our glory, but for God's alone. Let's pray together. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Father, pray by your spirit, by your word, that you would help us to, to boast in the Lord, to boast in Christ, to see Christ as the true wisdom, the true wisdom that comes from God. To know Christ is everything that we need, our foundation, that we can boast in him because he is our life. Father, help us to go from this place, boasting in the Lord Jesus Christ, in all that he has done, in who he is. Equip us to do that this year, we pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.